Thanks be to God for that scripture. Thanks be to you, Molly Joe, and thanks be to God for each one of you and whatever has brought you here today. I'm so thankful for you and whatever your journey has been that we are together here this Sunday morning. I'm Hannah, and I'm the pastor of Urban Village here at Wicker Park. We are a church that exists in four places throughout the city, so this is a taste of what's going on today. Um, we also uh, want to be, I'm about to ask you to pray for me and for us as we engage in this response to the word, but I also want us to be praying for our families who are on a camping trip right now. They keep sending me pictures of what's going on. It was like yesterday afternoon, they were rowing on the lake, and this morning they were like cooking fish over a fire, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous, but it was was beautiful and we're going to be doing more of that so if you're a camping kid if you love to camp or if you're not a kid who's John Michael was with him uh, yesterday look forward to that so if you would please pray with me God of grace and mercy God of power and might God of a magnificent natural world God who made the trees and the lakes God who made us and God, who made us, who made the buildings and the streets and the places for people to be, we are thankful to you for all of it. You are extraordinary. God, we know that you care for us, that you love us in body and in soul. And we come here to worship you, to worship your greatness and your strangeness and your bigness. God, you are all things. And for this, we are thankful. God, when we come before you today, we are hoping to respond to your word from James, to your scriptures, in a way that transforms us, in a way that transforms our community. And so we ask that in our response, you would be our guide. And God, though we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable unto you, we know that we are human and we are imperfect. And if there are moments when our words or our mouths would not be of accord with you, we ask that you would help us to start again, as there have always been second chances in you and in your resurrection world. And we know that you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the blessings of my life is that I get to talk to seminary students a lot um, and interns, people who come to our church to learn how to be in ministry or to really investigate theology. And I get to talk to all of you. We have an incredible church full of people who are searching. You guys are always reading and finding new books and YouTube videos and resources for thinking and learning and loving God that I have not encountered. And it is the great blessing of my life that I get to have all of those conversations. And there's one thing that I always try to keep in mind when I am discovering a new theological idea or a new way of thinking about the world that I haven't encountered before and that I may be a little resistant to sometimes, there's something that I always say to those students and those interns that I get to interact with, which is any time you encounter a new idea, a new theology, a new way of thinking about God, about what's going on here, there are two things you have to look for, just two things. One is, what is the gift of this theology? What is the gift? What does it offer to people? How does it serve people? Where does it bring us closer to God and closer to the best version of ourselves and our community and to glimpses of the kingdom? What is the gift of this? Because there's always a reason that people believe something. There's always a reason that people hold on to something. There's a lot about the canonization process of the Bible. This month is Bible month, so you're going to see a little behind the scenes into how the Bible came together. Um, one of the things when they decided which books are going to make it in this thing, 
Which texts count? Which ones were God-inspired? One of the big things they would look at was which ones get used? Which ones are people reading and finding helpful? Which ones do people sing in worship? If a lot of people believe something, use something, hold to something, there's something in it that is a gift for them. And I never want to forget that. So what is the gift in it? And then there's a second question, which is, what is the danger? What is the dangerous place of this idea? What is the edge where it stops working? What is the part of this theology that might not serve, or if you believed it, might take you farther away from God, farther away from other people, that might put you into pain points, that might cause you to harm yourself or others? What is the danger of this idea and of this theology? Because here's the thing. Uh, we're people. We're human. We're not Jesus. I haven't met Jesus yet. And, uh, well, I have met Jesus, but he hasn't walked through the doors of here and taught me how to preach. So anytime I preach, there might be something wrong about it, right? Anytime we believe something, there might be something wrong about it. We have to have the humility of knowing that we aren't God, that we aren't God. And so anytime we are convicted, it is both important to pay attention to that conviction and to say, is there a place where this could go wrong? Could this come from a part of me that uh, could hurt me or somebody else or isn't quite there or isn't quite who God is or isn't quite who Jesus is? In anything, in anything, and I'm really convinced of this, I have gone to all kinds of churches with all kinds of theologies all over the world, and I have not yet to go to one that didn't have something good and great about it and something that made me nervous. Where is the gift and where is the danger? So anytime you encounter something, I'll offer you that. Where is the gift and where is the danger? And there's a reason we're talking about that today, (laughs) that I want us to keep that in mind. Because today, we are talking about one of the fastest growing, most popular, most American ideas about who God is and how things work to have come up in the 20th and 21st centuries. It is one of the very few theologies that you will find preached in this country by black preachers and white preachers, young preachers and old. Many of the largest ministries in the country, the, one that, the ones that get on TV, the ones that have a lot of folks, this is, this is what they're preaching, or this is a part of what they're preaching, which is, and tell me if you've heard it, name it and claim it. Name it and claim it, right? Name it and claim it. Also known as health and wealth also known as prosperity gospel, yeah, we got, also known as uh, God favors the righteous. This idea that the way that it works is that God wants blessings for you. God wants your life to be good, and so if you pray right, things will go right. And you can get healthy, and you can get wealthy, and you can have all of the things that you want and pray for. I already see heads shaking. In the, <laughs> um, and I, this is a really, really common and really popular theology. I want to bring to you some things that I have been considering in the last couple of weeks as I've been thinking about this, this, uh, this scripture and this sermon today. The first is name it and claim it. So this is a meme that goes a lot around kind of Christian blogging circles. Name it and claim it. Um, Here's the, here's the gift. Here's the real part of it, right? So this is Jesus. What, what, sto- what story from the Bible is this, guys? Anybody know? Through the roof. Very good. <laughs> so, right? The four friends who bring the man through the roof, and Jesus says, stand up. And Jesus says, more importantly, right? He says, this is harder. Your sins are forgiven. Go forward. And it is said, and it is done. 
the man is healed. There is something that name it and claim it is, is getting at that is real about what the Bible says, right? That there is power in prayer, that there is power in declaration, that miracles can be. And here's a couple other slides. The Jabez prayer is a really, really popular version of this. Some of you may have someone in your family or your community who really, really goes by this book, um, which says basically if you pray this prayer, you will get everything you ask for. And if you don't get everything you ask for, it's a sign of something uh, going a little bit wrong in your faith life, something being absent. Okay, here's the next one. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. Great song, great Chance the Rapper song. We like it. But it makes me a little nervous, and I'm about to share why. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. That, I think, is true in general, right? We praise God. We also are offered blessings. But this pin gets to exactly what makes me nervous, which is that there's this arrow going up and this arrow going down that make it seem like a one-to-one transaction, right? One praise to God, one blessing received. <laughs> makes God seem a little more like a genie. Right? Than the big God that I know, than the big complicated God that I know who made a big complicated world. This is what starts to make me nervous about this stuff, right? The transactional nature, the one for one nature, the kind of guaranteed nature, this is how we make God do stuff, that starts to make me nervous. And then as I was thinking about it, I realized it's not just in Christianity that this kind of idea, that if we are good enough, if we have the right kinds of thoughts, if we have the right kinds of prayers, we will get money and health, and those are signs of favor upon us. It's not just in Christianity that that's happening. This we can see all over our country, because I want to show you some other things. Uh The secret. Anybody have someone in their life who's really into the secret, right? So this was a book that Oprah promoted for a little while that got very, very popular. The idea being, I'm going to let you in on the secret, right? Um, If you think things, they will become. So if you focus enough on your goals, if you focus enough on how you want things to be, they will be manifested into reality. Here's the next one. Your attitude determines your direction. This, I mean, this, guys, is on every Pinterest page that I could find, right? Some version of this, which is you got to think positive so that you can be positive so that positive things can happen. This is like just a huge portion of self-help books, of the internet, of advice to people, of day talk shows is devoted to this idea. Think more positively so that your life will be more positive. But here's where that starts to make me nervous. It's the same place where the theological version starts to make me nervous. We can go to the next slide. Oh, wait, there's one more. The energy that you put out comes back to you. This is the other way that people say this, right? Put out positive energy, it'll come back. So here's where it starts to make me nervous. No negative thoughts allowed. This is the other version of this that I kept looking at as I kept looking at some of these theological ideas that have really seeped into our wider culture, which is that um, it starts to say... Not only think positive, because I'm not saying, right, I'm not saying thinking positively is bad, right? I've done the thing where I'm having a bad day, but I smile or I think about rainbows or I think about puppies to try and get myself into a better place, right? I've done that. We've all done that. It's, it's useful advice. If you're stuck in a bad situation, try and look for the silver lining is not bad advice. It's great. Where it makes me nervous is when it goes to this place, which is no negative thoughts allowed. If you think anything negative, you will be inviting negativity into your life. Anybody have someone who says that to them? I have a lot of people in my life who say that to me. If you think negative thoughts, you'll be inviting negativity into your life. Because that seems to make people responsible 
responsible for the hard things that happen to them. And we aren't always responsible for the hard things that happen to us. And it says that negative emotions aren't allowed. <laughs> when I look at the Bible and I look at my life and I look at my community, and I see a lot of things that could be called negative emotions. I see sad, I see angry, I see disappointed, I see frustrated. If we take those off of the allowed emotional palette, we're cutting ourselves off from being human. <laughs> we're missing something really important about what it means to be alive and about what it means to be people. This is what makes me nervous when we get to knowing negative thoughts aloud. And it particularly makes me nervous um, I've been reading a lot. There's a good book um, called Bright Sided by Barbara Ehrenreich that some of you might appreciate. But I hear this a lot, particularly from women who experience breast cancer, that one of the main things that is offered to them is this. Here's our next slide. Positive thinking, positive outcome. It even has the pink ribbon on it, right? One of the, no one of the first things that happens to you if you experience breast cancer is that people start telling you to think positive to think positive about it and that that will help you get better. Um, and that might be really good advice for getting through it for some people, right? Some people really need to focus on the potential and on the good. But for people who are feeling sad and angry and abandoned, which are totally natural things to feel when you have cancer, I think this feels like an admonishment. I think this feels like a punishment. I think it feels like an impossible task. And I think it says to people, um, if your cancer gets worse, it's your fault for not having thought positively enough to determine your outcome. Mm -hmm. So let's go to the next one. And I know that because people have told me that. <laughs> this is a little comic from XKCD. It's a largely mathematics comic, but sometimes they get into life. Um, I read it a lot. I'm s so the first person in a hospital bed says, I'm sick and I'm scared. And then a person talking to them says, well, remember, Having a good attitude is the most important thing. Think positively and you'll get better. And this guy, right, like this person clearly wants to help. This is a kind, good person. But the first person on the hospital bed says, so if I'm sad or afraid or feel like crap sometimes, then, then if you don't recover, it will be your fault. Well, that makes me feel even worse. See, you're doing this to yourself. No, stop it. Ah! <laughs> A lot of people are hearing this positive thinking theology, this name it and claim it theology, whether they hear it as consciously about God or not, and they are experiencing it as death-dealing accusation. <laughs> they are experiencing it as destructive, that any time they have a painful response to something, it is going to bring bad upon them and it is going to be their own fault. This is how people hear that theology. And that's really important to know, because even if it was true, we're about to talk about why it's not quite true on a God basis, but even if it was, that consequence would be enough for us to reflect and take stock and say, what are we doing here? <laughs> why are we saying these things? So we can go back to the scripture now. But I wanted to set that stage, paint that picture, because I want us to see all of the ways in which this is a part of your life. Go out into the world in the next couple of weeks, and I guarantee you, it'll be like when you read a word for the first time, and then all of a sudden, it's like everything you read has that word in it. You will now see positive thinking everywhere that you go. You will see it in the advice that is offered in the media. You will see it in the advice that is offered by your family and friends. You will see it in the way people talk about everything, that this idea, whether people call it, name it, and claim it, 
or call it karma, or call it favor, or call it whatever. This idea that we have to put out what we want, and if we are good enough at it, we will get what we want, is everywhere. It's everywhere, and it is hurting us. It is hurting us. But that doesn't mean that nothing about it is true or real. And this is where we get back to the gift and the danger. Because there's a reason that lots and lots of people ascribe to this, right? They're not dumb. They're not hurtful. There's a reason that we feel attracted to this. And so I want to go over the scripture in James, which is one of the ones that is used most often to say, this is, this is why I believe this is true about God, to talk a little bit about what's true about this idea and what's not. How do we distinguish between what's helpful and what's not? This whole month we're in the Bible doesn't tell me so, things that we think the Bible says that it doesn't. And you're going to find that most Sundays are like this. One of the things Jesus said most often in his ministry was, um, you have heard it said that, X, but I say to you, Y, <laughs> right? And this is still the way that biblical interpretation works today, is that most things have something, a nugget of truth, but there's something about it that's gone a little wonky. So we want to identify the wonky. So let's go through James. If any of you are suffering, they should pray. If any of you are happy, they should sing. If any of you are sick, they should call for the elders of the church, and the elders should pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick, for the Lord will restore them to health, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. This is a beautiful scripture. It is one that really comforts me in difficult times. And it is one that many people have pointed to and said, look, see, it says right there, if you pray right, things will work out. That's how it works. There are a couple things I want to point out. First is, from faith will heal the sick. That word sick in the original Greek is a lot broader than our word sick. It's not just about like headaches and, you know, uh, ulcers. The word sick, the original Greek, is something much broader that's about any time that something is wrong. So it can be something that's like wrong with your soul, something that's wrong with the world, something that's wrong with your body. It's when things are wrong, when things aren't going right, the Lord can restore you to health and to wholeness is what I would call that. So it's health not just of the body, but this broader sense of health, which is being in alignment with God and feeling your wholeness as a person and your wholeness with your community. A lot of people have taken this to say that um, you can tell when someone is favored by God by how healthy they are or how much money they have. That when they have the... (laughs) Glad to hear that we don't have a lot of that going on here. But just so you know, I think that's unlikely because 10 verses before this passage in James... um, James says to the people that he is writing to, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Your wealth has rotted and moths will eat your clothes. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your field are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fatted yourselves in the days of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So I don't think that James's point is that if we pray, we will become rich, and that's how we will know God loves us. Just an instinct from that passage, right? James clearly can identify from the way that he's talking about laborers that there is injustice in the world. 
he can see it, right? He can see it in front of his eyes. There are people who have more, there are people who have less, and it's not always based on fairness. In fact, James's instinct is that it's often based on the opposite of fairness. It's often based on the opposite of fairness. The people who Jesus is with are the people who have less and the people who are oppressed. So if he can recognize that, how can he also say this stuff? That prayer will bring us health and wholeness in whatever we need. Why hasn't that prayer worked for the laborers that he has talked about, right? This is, the, this is the question. And I think it's because he's talking about a much bigger kind of wholeness than temporary cessation of pain and injustice. He's talking about a kind of wholeness with the kingdom, a kind of wholeness with God that is on both a time scale and a community scale that is much, much broader than what we are used to thinking about. Here's the other thing about the James. And this is something that um, Americans in the 20th and 21st century tend to do with almost every single Bible passage that we read, is that we read a thing about a group and we make it about a person. Because we live in such an individualistic society, it's hard for us to remember that not everything is directed at individual people who are like responsible for bootstrapping their own problems. Most of the Bible is written to groups of people. You as a community get better at living. You as a community, here's what God wants for you. You as a community, here's where God wants you to go. And it's the same thing here. People read this and they hear, I should go get someone smart to pray for me and then my health will be restored. But the whole passage is about a they. It's about how a community should behave. The letter of James, like half of the New Testament, is written to a church that is fighting within itself. <laughs> it's, the old, it's literally the oldest story in the book, right? A church that has conflict within the people. Um, and James is writing this letter, and it's particularly among the rich members of the church and the poor members of the church, that people feel like it's not fair how church is working. Um, and he writes this to them, you as a community... If any one of you is suffering, you should pray. So that's about what to do when I'm suffering, but it's also about what to do when somebody that I know is suffering. It's saying that when somebody in my church is suffering, it's like I'm suffering too. That's how connected we are. If any of you are happy, they should sing. But here's the good news. If any person in my church is happy, it's like I'm happy too. What happens to one of us is happening to all of us. We are a community. We aren't left alone. The elders should pray for the one who are sick, and prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick, for the Lord will restore them, the whole community, the whole thing. Or the Bible promotes the singular they, in which case also good news for us, right? Uh, um, To health, that God wants for our community health, and wholeness that I think is much bigger than about what happens to us between today and tomorrow. Here is a thing about prayer. It is effective. It is powerful. I am the person, I have had prayers answered in my life in miraculous ways that I did not think were possible. And I also have used prayer in my everyday life for things that other people would think were silly. I have definitely prayed over a dead laptop, you guys, and it definitely came back to life. That's a thing that happened in my life, right? It mattered to me. It mattered to my life. I have prayed to find keys, and I have not found them (laughs) most of the time. (laughs) But prayer is something that is about your physical wants and needs. Prayer isn't just for the big stuff. And prayer is something that absolutely sometimes does miracles. But if you don't experience a miracle, it doesn't mean that you didn't pray right. 
And this is the combination that we have to learn to live into in the way that we talk to each other and in the way that we live. I want to talk to you a little bit about our prayer time this morning. We have a prayer time for all of our volunteers every morning before the worship begins. And we prayed for a lot of different things. And we prayed for a lot of different things today. We prayed for physical healing for some of us who were sick. We believe that that is possible. We prayed for people who are in grief and loss, who have had a hard time in their life, that that would be healed. And we believe that that is possible. We also prayed for all of those who are in the path of this hurricane that is coming for the Carolinas, all of those who have already experienced destruction in the midst of it, and we believe that that is possible. We also prayed for the city of Dallas and the family of Botham Jean, who was killed in his home by an off-duty police officer, and we prayed that he would experience justice and that his family would experience justice and that this world would be a place where that doesn't happen to black people anymore. And we believe that that is possible. But I also believe that none of those prayers should be the end of our Christian response to those things that we prayed for. Prayer should be something that animates us and starts us and encourages us towards this kind of community that James talks about. After we pray for the sick, we should feel the Holy Spirit in our heart saying, bring that sick person a cup of chicken noodle soup. When we pray for the hurricane, we feel, if that prayer has been effective, the Holy Spirit in our heart saying, what is our hurricane response system? How can I call a person I know in South Carolina or North Carolina? What can I do about the fact that the weather is hurting so many more people than it used to? And is there something we can do as a community, as a nation, as a world to mitigate that? We pray for both them, Jean, and we hear the Holy Spirit in our heart saying, How can we pass legislation about police accountability? How can we change the ways that our cities and our states work? How can I show up outside of the courthouse for Laquan McDonald so that in my city, as in Dallas, as in all cities, there might be fairness and justice for every person? It's not that prayer isn't effective. It's that prayer is effective in making us be the body of Christ. in making us be the body of Christ, as well as in the occasional miracles that God provides that can never be predicted. So we need to go forth and we need to pray. And we also need to be there for people who, when their prayers aren't answered, are sad and angry and having all of the emotions it's okay to have. (laughs) We need to be there for them. We need to be there for us. And we need to say positive thinking is great, but sometimes the world is pretty awful. And when that happens, we will be the body of Christ in it. We will be the body of Christ for each other. We will continue to pray without ceasing, and we will also continue to believe that one of the ways prayer makes a difference is by sustaining us through hard times until the kingdom comes, because injustice is real. And one of the ways that prayer sustains us is by encouraging us to act differently as a community so that things might be different for us and for those who come next. And for that kind of prayer, I am eternally grateful. So we say thank you to God, and thank you to Jesus, and thank you to one another, who will be the actors of prayers. Amen and amen.